the right amount of drunk for this. I have a million points. <laughs> Dead characters do not yield spin-offs. This is Serious Business. Greetings, there's a grumpy old new doctor, so grab a drink because this is Serious Business. I am Jeff, your host for this week's exciting episode, and joining me is John and Michelle. Yeah. So let's start with John. John, how's it going? It's going all right, Jeff. All right, all right, all right. (laughs) So, John, you know, one of the biggest reactions to the announcement of the new Doctor back when it occurred several months ago was that it is yet another, or he is yet another white male. Which, you know, historically that's what the Doctor's been, but a lot of people were hoping that they would decide to finally go bold and mix it up a little bit. So in the spirit of that, if you were to pick an actress to play a female Doctor, uh, who would you pick? And for bonus points, who would you pick to be their male companion? Uh, well, this is a tough one. Yeah, this Um, is a tricky question. Tricky. (laughs) I would go sort of proven, you know, uh, an actress with uh, proven acting chops. So I would, I would say Kate Winslet. Oh, that's a really good call. An an Oscar winner. She's won. Yeah. She's won Oscars. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that it's always good to put really like really accomplished actors into, you know, seemingly, simple roles like that mm-hmm. because then they just do you know they do great things with them and i think peter capaldi is showing us that yeah no i i would agree with you there do you do you have an answer for her male companion yeah i i do um i'm not sure that it's a it's a choice i would uh, you know I, i'm really enthusiastic about but you know since you asked i would probably i would go with aaron johnson he was the the lead in Kick-Ass, and he's also going to be in The Avengers 2. I'm basing this solely off of his performance in Kick-Ass, but he plays that good sort of aloof character that that isn't quite, you know, doesn't always quite know what's going on. Um, I I think you do well in a companion role. Yeah, that seems like a really good call. I like the, the dichotomy that those two could have. I think it would make for many interesting pieces of dialogue. Uh, so, John, what, if anything, are you drinking this fine evening? Uh, tonight, I'm drinking a Jim Beam maple whiskey. Ooh. Yeah, it was, it was one of those things I, that, that sort of seemed like a good idea at the liquor store. Um, <laughs> and then when I got home, it just sort of tasted it tasted like maple syrup with a twist of whiskey. So it's, it's a little bit sweet for my taste, but uh, I'm making my way through it. Mm, nice. Very nice. That's awesome. So, uh, moving on, we got Michelle. Michelle, how's it going? Uh, it's going pretty well, Jeff. Glad to hear it. So, Michelle, same question to you. If you could pick any actress to portray the Doctor, uh, who would you pick? Uh, you know, this is really hard. Um, I think, uh, unlike John, I kind of think that we would need a young female actress. I think that it would be somebody who would bring a lot more energy and kind of keep the young, especially the young female fans interested. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm going to go with uh, Jessica Brown Finley, who is the actress who played Lady Sybil on Downton Abbey. Oh, wow. Um, She also is in the, I don't know if you watch the dramedy um, Albatross. It's a BBC show too, I believe. Um, She's also in that. And so she does drama really well. She does comedy really well. She's really into 
Lady Sybil is a really interesting character, and I think she has a lot of range, so I'd love to see her do something, to, to attempt something like Doctor Who. Yeah, she's got a good look for it, too. Yeah, yeah. I think so, too. Yeah. Um, and so for bonus points, do you have an actor who would play her, her male companion? No, not really. <laughs> no worries. No, um, no idea. No idea. <laughs> so uh, what, if anything, are you drinking this fine evening? Life-giving water. Life-giving water. Mm. Yep. Always a good option. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's see. You know, I, I've thought about this for a while. Originally, I was thinking maybe someone along the lines of a Helen Mirren, but... As you guys were talking, I kind of changed my mind because I was reminded of uh, Kate Blanchett playing Catherine Hepburn in the movie The Aviator. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Because when John said Kate Winslet, I always get my Kates mixed up. And I was like, mm-hmm. was she in The Aviator or was it, you know, but it was Kate Blanchett. And uh, she uh, she was so good in that role that I would love to see her take on the doctor. She was just really good at being kind of, I don't know, is is erudite the right word <laughs> i don't know but I, th- I think she would be a really good sort of aloof intelligent character so uh i, I would like that and then uh, you know i want to i want to give her a young guy to travel with um uh, maybe maybe like a joseph gordon levitt or someone like that who's just sort of all one of those people who always looks boyish no matter what age they are like mm-hmm. that that kind of person. I feel like that would be a good pairing. And I am drinking a Leinen Kugel Summer Shandy. Ooh, delicious. Mm-hmm. And arguably nutritious. <laughs> it's got there's juice. Yeah, it's there's got fruit in it. There's lemon involved <laughs> in some way. So Doctor Who, for those of you who don't know, is about a British time-traveling alien. And several wow. of us decided to get together and go to a Scottish. midnight theater showing of the premiere of Peter Capaldi's first episode of the new season. And one of the people who came with us was a friend of ours who had no exposure to Doctor Who whatsoever. So we we spent several hours leading up to our midnight show watching some of our favorite old episodes. We watched Blink. We watched uh, the first Christopher Eccleston episode with the the mannequins. We watched uh, Matt Smith's first and last episode. And, uh, you know... Going into it, I thought that the only thing anyone needed to know about Doctor Who was British time-traveling alien, and that that was all that needed to be said. But uh, as I talked to our our friend more and more, our friend who was completely uninitiated, I realized that that really wasn't everything. Because she had questions about the regenerations, she had questions about all the alien races, etc. And, you know, that prompted me to once again check out Doctor Who's Wikipedia uh, section. And I say section because it's easily 25% of the website. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it is, it is, there is an encyclopedia of Doctor Who available on the internet. And uh, it's very fun to check all that stuff out. So if you're not super familiar with Doctor Who, there is an entire universe of information out there waiting for you. But uh, for the sake of this episode, we're going to assume you at least have some familiarity with the character. And uh, we will be revealing spoilers from the first episode. Not that there are too many because it's a first episode of the new season. So uh, I think the biggest question is how was Peter Capaldi as the doctor? So let's start with that one. And I want to get Michelle's thoughts first. I thought he did a great job. I was super excited about him. I like the idea of a doctor being a little bit more aloof. Like when he left Clara in the uh, the larder with all of the 
uh, I don't know what those people are, like the robot people. Mm-hmm. Um, cyborgs. Cyborgs, yeah. Mean, some kind of android I cyborg. I think they called them half-mans in the little featurette or something. Yeah. Um, humans. Well, the, the, the main villain was called... Half face man. Oh right. Um, yeah, maybe I, I I don't know that they named the other ones. Yeah. Um. But uh, I like I liked that idea uh, of him, you know, leaving her because he knew that she could she could also take care of herself and giving Vestra and Jenny time to time to appear. But I also I thought his all of his monologues, all of his speeches, his delivery was great. His uh, section, his dialogue with the homeless guy was fantastic when he was talking about his face and his angry eyebrows. But yeah, I was really excited and I can't wait to see more. Cool. John, did you have similar impressions of Peter Capaldi? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to uh, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and you guys can bring up this episode and and point and laugh at me at the end of the season, but I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that I think that Capaldi might be my favorite doctor. What? Already. Really? <laughs> That's a lot. That's a big statement. I know, but I just... I haven't seen that much from him. I know, but I, I feel like it's got nowhere to go but up. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I like that he's he's older, and he's a little bit like he's just he's got that badass air to it, you know like did he push that guy off you know like yeah that's true um and he's got he's got all the important all the important tenets of a, a good no pun intended um of a a great doctor he's got the light side the light humorous side down and then you know he's also got this dark serious side to him and every like every moment that he was on screen i mean he just like his delivery everything was just totally on point and you know i'm I'm excited about where it's gonna go mm-hmm. i do i do have to admit this felt like the easiest transition when tenant took over and then when matt smith took over it took me a few episodes to really feel comfortable with the new doctor and i don't know if it's just been the time the amount of time that it's been or that i was just ready to see matt smith's version of the doctor go Mm -hmm. but i totally was 100 percent on board with capaldi being the doctor yeah it was definitely the end of matt smith's time and i I don't think that was matt smith's fault i think it was just yeah the show needed an injection yeah yeah something new Yeah. yeah you know i found capaldi's doctor a little too manic Again, I'm not sure if I would call that Capaldi's fault. The material he was given to work with tried to almost show us too much at once, and that bugged me a little bit. You know, like like you were saying, uh, on the one hand, it showed that he had range as the Doctor. He could be dark, he could be manic, he could be funny. But on the other side of it, it felt a little nonsensical for him to suddenly go from dark to manic to funny so quickly, like on a scene-to-scene basis. It was like... He would be losing his mind and super serious, and then suddenly he would be coherent and witty and bantering. And it was kind of... I don't know, something about that was was a bit off-putting to me. I feel like Matt Smith's first episode, since we watched it right beforehand, was a lot smoother. Like, like I understood who that doctor was, and there was a little bit of craziness with him being, like, not figuring out what he wanted to eat for a long time. But here it was, like, super craziness. It was like, yeah, I lost my mind actively, but and then if, suddenly it's going to be fixed. 
you know. If I could, if I could address that really quick, I, I think that I might have to reach into my Doctor Who minutia here. But um, part of the the deal with the regenerations that each one is different. It's never quite the same. It's never, it's never always the same treatment. They like, you know, obviously from doctor to doctor, you've got different creators and different people working on it. But I mean, even I think that Matt Smith's first episode and Capaldi's first episode were both Moffat episodes, but the regenerations are always different. It's not always the same treatment. So for example, this time Capaldi was very out, you know, like, when he regenerated, he didn't know how to operate the TARDIS, and he was, you know, essentially speaking nonsense right at first. And I think that that was just sort of like an instance thing where it was like, this is what happened this time. So, like, when Matt Smith regenerated, you know, he went through his thing with his food, and then, you know, he sort of found his character a little bit faster. I felt like what they did with this one was just like, it was a concept they explored. Well, what if he's just totally bonkers, nonsensical? You know, his brain's gone completely haywire, and then he sort of he sort of settles into himself by the end of it. So I, I thought that it was a, to me, it, it felt like a, a relatively smooth. I don't know. I, I felt it kind of harkened back more towards like Tenet's first episode, mm-hmm. which he spent most of the time in bed, and so he would wake up. And have some kind of revelation yeah. or some witty intrigue and then pass out again. So I think that it's not completely out of the blue to have a doctor be random and serious and confused. And I think that they might not be sure exactly what type of doctor Capaldi is going to be at this point. And so trying a couple of things on makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, what did you guys think of the episode itself? I thought the episode was fine. I'm not 100% on board with the Victorian England. You know, I like Strax and Vestra and Jenny fine, but I would like to move on from them. Mm -hmm. I think we've seen enough of them with Matt Smith's Doctor. And so I know that Clara needed somebody to talk to while Capaldi was doing all of... His, you know, running around, talking to the dinosaur, hiding with the homeless people. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm, I'll be happy to move on from them. Mm-hmm. And Clara's bit, I felt like, didn't make a lot of sense. She was very upset that the doctor had regenerated. And she was very upset that she didn't have Matt Smith's version of the doctor. But it didn't really ring true to me because she saw, she went into the time vortex she knows all of the ado- other doctors' regenerations. Right. She knows the regeneration process. So why is she so upset with this regeneration? Yeah. I don't, I don't get that. No, that's a really good point. That's that's a, a typical writer's trick of, uh, we'll conveniently forget that aspect of the character in order to tell the story I want to tell. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's funny because I think that episode was a Moffat episode as well. So uh, mm-hmm. he's, he's sort of going back on what he did. Actually, that might have been a Neil. Was that the one that Neil Gaiman wrote? No, the one that Neil Gaiman wrote was the chess playing Cyberman. Oh, uh, yeah. it was right before that one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this episode, I, I feel like it also fell victim. Now, oddly enough, the Clara stuff didn't bother me because it was the most tolerable Clara's ever been to me. Or not tolerable. Yeah, I thought that too. Most yeah. often, like, she felt like she had a perspective. She wasn't just like, I'm the pretty witty girl. 
you know. Which, yeah, I'm, which the, she's I'm like, the impossible girl. Yeah. I'm so, I can open the TARDIS with the snap of my finger. Right, and I don't feel like a human being so much as a plot device. You know, um, I feel like this this at least gave her a position. And you're right, though, that, that, that it is inconsistent with what we've been getting. But I think I wasn't bothered because I didn't like what we'd been getting with Clara. Mm-hmm. Um, so I sort of conveniently chose to ignore it, much like the writers conveniently chose to ignore it. The thing that bugged me a little bit was that, uh, and this is something that Moffat's been doing in season three of Sherlock as well. He's getting to, God, I'm going to use this word and I'm going to hate myself for it. Uh, <laughs> he's getting too postmodern. Oh, oh God, I can feel the <laughs> twisting inside my body. But um, Or meta. I guess meta is another good way of looking at it. In that the storyline becomes too focused on establishing some sort of idea behind a character and not focused enough on just being a story that has characters in it. There were many scenes that were very ham-fisted and, and were, were basically like... You know, when he's when when the doctor's sitting there talking to the half man, and you know he's looking at the silver plate, and the half man sees himself, but then the doctor also sees himself because he's talking to himself as well as the half man. Oh my god, it was it was a little too frustrating. I was like, this this isn't really about a mystery that the doctor is solving or an adventure that the doctor is having. This is an episode entirely about the doctor, and it might as well entirely take place inside his head because nothing makes any sense. So that's that's my rant about the episode. <laughs> Outside of my rant, though, I actually I actually kind of liked it. It felt it felt it was fun to watch. So I'm I've got my rant out of the way. I'm gonna let someone else talk. But despite my rant, it's still like I still had a good time. You know. I don't know. I I I totally dug it. I had I I was grinning like an idiot through most of it. Jeff, I hear you on a lot of that stuff. A couple times. Throughout the episode, it did sort of jump out at me that okay, it's deliberate. They're deliberately aiming at the younger audience that might be a little uncomfortable with with Capaldi. But at the same time, I thought that the way that it was written and the in the way that it was executed, I thought it worked. It worked really well as a character piece. Like it, it the whole thing felt very driven. Very, it felt very character driven as opposed to like here's some really asinine convoluted monster mystery plot mm-hmm. and uh or, you know here's the next big season long arc that we're setting up i i thought that it was it was a good character driven story i don't know, i i thought that it worked pretty well and i think in terms of clara i am also it was weird i watched the epi- i watched season seven the first time and i i kind of i enjoyed them i enjoyed that whole like the whole clara arc and then we rewatched those episodes again recently, and it didn't quite hold up as well. I, I was annoyed at, at the main imp- the, the whole impossible girl thing. And then with this episode, I feel like that all of that was, you know, it was wrapped up at the end of last season and sort of jettisoned. And Clara is just sort of the audience represents the audience's point of view. So I kind of I kind of like the way that they handled her in this episode, and then also the Paternoster gang. Mm-hmm. Is that it? I too am not a, a giant fan of them, but I, I I liked it the way that they were handled in this episode, and I didn't mind I didn't mind seeing them. But I I would agree with Michelle that I that's 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 enough that's enough for them for, mm-hmm. for this season. I think they they did well with them in this episode, and now on to other periods. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I certainly can't blame you for that position. And I think you're also definitely right about it being written very specifically for the younger viewers. I don't know if you guys saw some of the hilarious twitter reaction when capaldi was first announced it, mm -hmm. it was like several young mostly female fans that were in uproar about there being like kind of an an aging non super handsome doctor um, mm -hmm. i think it's also because matt smith's character like the show became super popular within the last couple seasons mm -hmm. especially with i don't know 16 to you know 20 something year old females mm -hmm. And I think that seeing just that doctor and then going to Capaldi, it is quite a, it is quite a switch. Yeah. But I also think, too, they threw it down our throats a little bit too much for that part of the audience. I think that there are so many fans mm -hmm. that are long-term Doctor Who fans or that have been at least with the reboot, you know, from the beginning. I did not appreciate that little Matt Smith blurb at the end mm -hmm. where he convinced Clara and really he's not convincing Clara. He's convincing the younger audience that this is actually the doctor. They're the same guy and we should really just trust and help him. You know, I didn't appreciate that. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. And, you know, we, we were at, obviously, a midnight showing, so it's it's relatively diehard fans, but there were, were certainly plenty of people there who were not women age you know 16 to 22 mm -hmm. um so yeah I, I feel like that was kind of unnecessary I, I would rather they have been bold enough to just say you know what this is how it is we're going for it instead yeah. of basically writing an entire episode about it i do want to pay a little bit of lip service to the insane discrepancy in the quality of the effects throughout the episode mm -hmm. um, okay the practical effects like the uh, half face man were great. There was some some really excellent makeup throughout the episode. Uh, some fun costuming as well. The thing with the eyeball, oh my god, that was so good. It was good. Creepy and awesome. And then you get this hilariously low budget CGI dinosaur. I feel like they did the dinosaur, and they like somebody was just like, we need a CGI dinosaur going through Victorian England. Mm -hmm. and That's probably exactly the instruction. The animators had. just made it like way too big. Yeah. And way so instead of going back and just fixing it, they put a couple lines of dialogue to say, oh no, they are really supposed to be <laughs> that big. I can you just know? imagine a bunch of like a visual effects team going, oh shit, I guess the Tyrannosaurus Rex isn't that big. Yeah, they had a couple lines spread out that was like, no, this actually, the T-Rex is this big. Well, like when you think, like when when you hear that phrase, like uh, a T-Rex rampaging through Victorian London, like I feel like your head goes to like a Godzilla-type scenario where yeah. there's a giant beast ripping through a city. I feel like they got really the not. dinosaur and they were like, fuck, what are we going to do? Oh, <laughs> well, we don't have the... the money or the budget to go back and redo it. Yeah. Let's just <laughs> let's just put a couple lines of dialogue in there to explain it away. Yeah. Well, it's really sad because there was no reason for the dinosaur aside from, from humor. None whatsoever. Yeah. They could have told the exact story exact same story yeah, that's true. The they really didn't they even like had a random dude get killed by the half face man that could have been the victim instead mm -hmm. of well you know what i think they really wanted that scene where he's maybe translating for the dinosaur in his sleep but is he translating for the dinosaur or talking about himself yeah i don't know i feel like it was a real it was a real great trailer shot 
Mm. You know, like it, it, it was more than anything. I think it was a big visual sizzle reel mm-hmm. shot. Yeah. Yeah. I think Moffat likes dinosaurs. I think we've had a lot of dinosaurs the last couple of seasons. Dinosaurs, yeah. Also, I'm not sure the, 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 the wonky Doctor Who time traveling logic works for the TARDIS teleporting the dinosaur with it or through time and space. Hasn't the TARDIS, like, been in close confines plenty? Like, the the TARDIS does not take whatever's touching it with it. No. Yeah, no. That's one of those things with Doctor... I mean, it's, just kinda, it's one of those things... Yeah. Just roll yeah, with yeah, it. Yeah, 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 just, whatever. Just roll with it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm being a little too nitpicky. There's larger things to complain about, usually. But I will say, if we're talking about the effects, the opening sequence is fantastic. Yeah, it's pretty baller. I, I heard a rumor that a fan had made something and that this is based on that, but I'm not sure if it's actually true because it was from the internet. Yeah. I, I, I've seen a lot of that as well, but I, I tried briefly to sort of, I mean, at this point there's countless fan made series eight intros, but I, I haven't really been able to track down a supposed original, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. And who knows? Yeah. It was really cool. Regardless of where it came from, whoever made (laughs) that good job, thumbs up. So I want to talk just a little more about Doctor Who, but I think it's time for a refill break. Uh, so we will be our beat. Is it Jenna Coleman? Am I getting that right? Yes. Yeah. Is uh, is is leaving the show uh, as of the Christmas episode? I'm not 100% sure it's true, but I've I've definitely heard it from multiple sources. So uh, take that for what what you will. But how does how do you guys feel about that? Uh, starting with Michelle. I I would be ready for her to go. Mm. I I want a new companion for a new Doctor. Uh, I lo- if we get more of the Clara that we had in this season in this episode i would be a little bit happier with her sticking around but i think after six more episodes i'm i'm probably gonna be done and want to move on to to seeing somebody new yeah that makes sense john what about you yeah um i'm 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 ready i'm ready for her to you know move along i think that yeah i I think that a year is a good tenure for a, a companion because by, by changing out the companions each year, it, it allows a little bit of a refresh. You know, the Doctor is able to go in a different direction. There's a different dynamic between the Doctor and the companion that keeps things fresh. And I feel like there's not a lot about Clara that makes that dynamic too interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, now the whole impossible, you know, like her whole impossible girl arc is wrapped up. I don't know. I don't know. She's just kind of... Blah for me. I guess we just need to see a little bit more of yeah. their interactions. The interaction that they had in the restaurant, the back and forth about her and egomania, well, that was a pretty good exchange. And to be fair, the season hasn't even started yet, so maybe you know something is something will emerge that is is fun to to watch between her and the doctor. But yeah, I, I think that by the time this season is out, it it'll be time for her to to move on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I pretty much, you know, I, I'm not sure I agree with you guys, mostly because I feel like she's just getting her footing in a way that I kind of like. But there's too much, you may be right in that there's just too much baggage. Like, if she were introduced in, like, like two episodes ago, if this were, like, her third episode, I would be really actually happy with her. Because I, I really liked her in Capaldi. I feel like they had a really good core and, and good banter, and their chemistry could be sort of this begrudging camaraderie that would, would be really endearing. But because she is the impossible girl, it's, yeah, her time is is, is fading fast. So mm -hmm. Plus, we already have the BBC announced that there is going to be another companion for season eight. Danny uh, Pink is going to join. Yeah, as her boyfriend. Oh. Oh. Mm -hmm. Possibly. I, did they confirm that it's going to be her boyfriend? I mean, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, they, they have I think that was supposed to take off some of the love interest yeah. attention away from Capaldi and put but it. But that might be good. Like I think it might be good to get a third character in there, and mm -hmm. you know, a third wheel in there. Mm -hmm. Cool. So uh, before we wrap up our Doctor Who discussion, I do want to ask you guys about that ending mm -hmm. because it was weird. Mm -hmm. um, do you guys have any theories or knowledge or anything about what the hell that was all about? Uh, so there are there are wonderful theories that are are abounding the internet right now. Uh, some people think that it is a version of River Song, which is really just wrong. I think I don't think the Nether. It's no. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's River Song's regeneration. Even though she was able to appear to the Doctor at the time of the Doctor, I think that this is this is not River Song. I like the idea that. This is a female version of the master. So Missy, mistress, master. That would be a really interesting idea. Although she refers to the doctor as her boyfriend. Mm -hmm. So I don't know exactly how, how that would fit in because I don't know of any true intimate relationships between the master and, and the doctor. They've certainly flirted, but I don't think there's anything going on there. There is a final theory, which I really kind of like, in that she's actually the the personification of the Doctor's mistakes. Hmm. So Missy, mistake. So if you remember, there was an episode, there was like the Dream Lord. I think it was a, that was a Matt Smith episode, I believe, because I think it had Amy and Rory, where, who was that guy who played it? They were trapped in different dreams and they were awake and they were in this dream world and they had to figure out which one was the dream and which one was the what what was that episode? Uh, hold on, I gotta look it I gotta look it up. But that was an Amy and Rory episode. Rory dies in the dream, they have to figure out which is yeah. the dream and which is the reality. Anyway, so that showed a character that was a personification of part of the doctor's internal monologue, his his own fears, his own anxiety. The episode was Amy's Choice. The actor was Toby Jones, and he was the dream lord. He was the psychic manifestation of the 11th Doctor's darkest parts. Mm -hmm. And I like the idea of her being the personification of his mistakes, especially since the character that we're seeing right there is a character that he possibly could have just killed. He possibly just could have pushed this guy out of that, you know, hot air balloon. Uh -huh. So, we'll see. Yeah. On a quick side note, by the way, that guy totally deserved to die. 
Oh yeah. Like they were murdering people for thousands of years. Yeah. No, there's no sympathy here. Um, but uh, John, do you have any uh, additional thoughts or comments on that ending? Yeah, I mean, I did. I, I did a couple minutes worth of research today. One thing that was said about the the master theory was that it was maybe a little bit too obvious, a little bit too much of an easy answer to be just the master. But you know, there's other. I think there's other Time Lord characters that it might be as well. But I don't know. I, I think it's it's kind of too early to tell. I don't have any really major theories myself. I think that. I think it will be some sort of callback to a pre-existing character. So I don't know if it's the Master. It could be, you know, some older Time Lord character. But I think she will be some form of an existing character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, have a, I have a different theory. Ooh. Yeah. I think, I think she's actually going to be Clara. Like some warped version of her. Or she, uh, she will be involved in some way if Clara is indeed leaving in the leaving of Clara, and uh, I, I think that could be neat, just because Clara spent, uh, there was so much time spent that episode being like, I'm not your boyfriend, I'm not your boyfriend, I'm not your boyfriend, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that having this sort of warped version of Clara where she's like, oh, he's my boyfriend, is is kind of interesting to me. It's, um, yeah, it's an interesting choice of words that yeah, they use. Right, but if it's not that, it, I, I think it'll actually probably be something completely new. Hopefully. I'm hoping. I hope it's not based on something we've already seen. Um, although the, the, the theories you mentioned, Michelle, all, all make perfect sense. So I don't know. Do we, want to, do we want to do a quick rating for this? Is it worth it for like episode one of a series? I think so. We went to the movie sure. theater. Uh-huh. We did go. We did indeed go to the movie theater. <laughs> all right. So let's start with Michelle. Michelle, on a scale of one to five thinly veiled metaphors, what do you give this episode? Uh, I would give it a four. Did you see what I did there with the veil? <laughs> Very nice. Yes. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm I can, so sorry. <laughs> I can see your veil. Mm-hmm. Where did your veil go? Oh. Ah, it's magic. <laughs> Dinosaur magic. Um, uh, so, uh, John, on a scale of one to five TARDISes covered in gigantic dinosaur saliva, what do you give this episode? Uh, I would give it a four as well. All right. Let's see, for me, on a scale of one to five Scottish eyebrows that could open cans of beer, I'm going to give it a three. Yes. Solid three. That's fair. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, uh, we are going to wrap up this episode the same way we wrap up every episode of This Is Serious Business, and that's with our Geek of the Week segment, where we talk about things we've been watching, doing, playing, reading, etc., that have nothing to do with what we've been talking about for the last 45 minutes. So, let's go ahead and start with John on that one. John, what have you been up to lately? This week I've watched a couple episodes of the new uh, Netflix original animated series, BoJack Horseman. It's it's a pretty weird show. It's it, it takes place in a world where there are anthropomorphic animal characters and regular human characters. So they all just sort of live in the same world and they're all just people. Like, the animal characters have animal traits, but they're still sort of human characters, so it's a little weird. But the basic premise of it is Bojack Horseman is the 90s... He was he starred in this 90s sitcom, which is essentially like Full House. So he's this big, you know, he's this big well-known actor from this sitcom, and then it takes place in modern times where he's sort of like this aged, you know, 90s celebrity. 
Um, and it's basically like they try and poke fun at celebrity, celebrity type things and, you know, washed up actors, that type of thing. Um, it's all right. I mean, I, I, I lasted about three or four episodes and I was like, okay, it's, it, it seems like they're, they're trying very hard to be that really smart, but quirky animated show, like a, like a Bob's burgers or something like that. But and I, I would say it falls a little short, but it's got a pretty solid cast. Will Arnett is Bojack Horseman. Amy Sedaris plays his girlfriend slash agent. And then Allison Brie plays his sort of love interest. They've got a couple interesting, like, celebrity cameos. Like, Kristen Schaal shows up for for a part. So, I don't know, it was, it was okay. I mean, it's it's a good show to sort of have on in the background while you're doing something but like not not i wouldn't say it's a really stellar show but i would give it a half of a recommendation mm-hmm. yeah will will arnett is everywhere right now yeah and the thing about will arnett like he was good in arrested development but everything that he keeps popping up in it's just like ah. yeah cool. so well thank you for the half recommendation uh, let's move <laughs> on to michelle michelle what have you been up to lately <sighs> I actually don't have a geek of the week this week. Oh, I haven't. No. I know. I know. I'm trying to think of something that I've been doing. I've been really struggling to get through uh, Donna Tartt's The Goldfinch. Mm. So it's a big tome. Uh, it's it's really well written. If anybody's, I guess I could recommend her previous book, The Secret History. Have you read it, Jeff? I have not, unfortunately. I am pretty unfamiliar with her. So uh, she's a great author, but sometimes it takes a little while to get into what she's writing. But The Secret History, I'd recommend it came out a a few years ago now. It is about a guy who goes away to college and joins this small group of people who are studying, I think, ancient Greek or Roman traditions. And it delves into some of the more ecstatic rituals and... um, the Dionysian rites, and so really, really interesting read. Good on academia, but also good on drama. Uh, I would definitely recommend that. Still not sure how I feel about The Goldfinch, even though I'm almost finished with it. Mm -hmm. Basically, we're following a character who, he is in the Museum of Art uh, during uh, a bombing, and so he steals a painting, and so it's basically him growing up uh, with the knowledge and hiding this painting. Uh, so I'm still not sure how I feel about it, but her, A Secret History, I definitely recommend. Yeah, and if nothing else, you could use the goldfinch to stop a bullet. Yes, it is mm-hmm. thick. Yes. The audiobook version is like 34 hours. Oof. Yeah. Oof. Cool, well, yeah, keep us posted on that, because I do want to know if it if it ends up going someplace that you like. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. So let's see, what have I been up to lately? couple things but but yesterday i made a terrible terrible grievous error Uh Um, i decided based on our fantasy summer box office discussion and the mood that i happened to be in at the time to watch the (laughs) expendables 2 on netflix i had heard that of all the expendables movies of which there are now three um it is the most tolerable and most fun and it's really painful to watch had like, you seen the first one? I had or is not, that... I'd not ah. seen the first one. But it's just... It's just <laughs> sort of sad. You sit there and you're like, this is... This is... 
All of these guys need money. It's it's <laughs> it's that, and it's that, like, there could be something there. That's the part that hurts the most. If there was any investment from any of these accomplished action movie stars, along with the few non-action movie stars that they roped in for some reason, like Randy Couture, it, it could be fun. It could be great. It could be good characters just being smarmy with each other and beating each other up. The only person who invests it all in that movie is Jean-Claude Van Damme, and he is great as the villain, but he's in it for, like, 12 minutes. And 12 minutes is not enough to, to carry it, but he, he does what he's supposed to do. He's like, I am going to play a Jean-Claude Van Damme character. Um, <laughs> he, he, he roundhouse kicks a knife into a guy's chest. What? It's, it's it's awesome. He does what? it, and he does it well, well being evil, well like playing a a really hammy, great sort of having fun with it, but still trying evil person. Everybody else in the movie, like Bruce Willis, is so clearly in it just for a quick paycheck. Like he shows up, and he's he's barely trying. <laughs> like, I'm playing the CIA guy. I'm gonna be CIA-ish now. <laughs> Damn it, I'm upset. Alright, now I'm gonna pick up this gun. I've got this gun. I'm gonna shoot some bad guys. Awesome. And Arnold Schwarzenegger's sort of the same. He's just like, yeah, I'm here. Here in this movie. I'm going to occasionally quote some of my old movie lines. And that will be the movie. And then Chuck Norris is in it too. And and you think, you you, lit, you hear these Isn't names. Chuck and you're like, God, this, this is gonna be great. But it's just not. They don't care and it's... It's sad. It's sad and isn't, dumb. And don't yeah. Isn't Chuck Norris like eighty years old? He's literally old. like. No, Chuck the guy's Norris, in his late seventies. Chuck got Norris it. was a full adult when he fought Bruce Lee. Like that is how old Chuck Norris is. He's seventy four. Yeah, that Jesus was in Christ. the sixties. He was he was a full adult in the sixties. Um. So yes, he he's a very old man. Um, Nineteen forty. Jesus Christ. He has one semi-decent moment where he poorly delivers a joke about himself that's pretty cute. Um, <laughs> when when they're like, man, we heard you got bit by a king cobra. He was like, yeah, that was quite an ordeal. After three days, the cobra finally died. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, that's that's funny. Why isn't the whole movie like that? But it's not. I don't know. Anyway, sorry. That's a shame. Yeah. Don't waste your time with The Expendables ever. So, uh, at this point, I want to give you guys an opportunity to let people know where they can find you online, and if you have any shout-outs, please feel free to make them. So let's start with Michelle. You can find me on Twitter at TracingRays. Cool. John? On Twitter at DrawTheStory. Awesome. You can follow me on Twitter at TisbyJeff. I have started tweeting more at Rob's behest. <laughs> doing my best. Twitter's hard, though. It's hard work. You can find this podcast online at tisbycast.com, that's T-I-S-B for This Is Serious Business, along with links to our excellent Tumblr, our Facebook, our, our official Twitter account, which Rob runs, it does a much better job of Twitter than I ever do, and our MySpace or whatever the hell else we have. Mm -hmm. um, so as always, I, I just have absolutely no idea how to end this episode. John, can you do a Capaldi impression yet, or is it too soon? Uh, let me see. Scottish! Scottish. I can complain about things now. Give me your coat. Give me your coat. <laughs> That's pretty good. I'm cold. 
But there's no sense in both of us being cold. Give me your coat. That's all I got right now. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> I know how to end this episode. <gasps> it's myself from the future. <laughs> <laughs> That's a wrap, people. Cue um, the TARDIS noise. Serious business.